There was a certain city that had a rich man and a poor man. The rich man was that. He had uh, many herds and many flocks. The poor man, on the other hand, uh, had one little lamb. A lamb that he cherished and loved very much. And that he really treated like one of his own children. It came about that a traveler came passing through town to visit the rich man. And as was the custom, uh, the rich man was to put forth in front of this traveler as the host a feast. And so the rich man looked at his flocks and his many herds and was unwilling to take from his own flock, unwilling to look at his own herd and do what was necessary to prepare the meal. Instead, what he did is he went and he took the poor man's lamb and used it to prepare the meal for the traveler. Upon hearing this, King David is outraged. And he says emphatically, this man should die for this. And then the prophet Nathan if you remember the story, looks at David and he says, you are this man. You remember he was confronting David for the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He was confronting David for his sin of murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. What was happening in that moment as Nathan approached David is that he was speaking to him in parable. He was communicating truth in the form of a parable. Really what he was doing is he was throwing alongside earthly, ordinary realities, heavenly, divine, revealed truth. Right, Something that he, people could connect with easily in the everyday world. And yet at the same time, a revelation of divine truth. That's what a parable is. If you look at the word, it means to throw alongside. Parable. It means to throw alongside. Right? You're, you're placing uh, heavenly truths alongside of earthly realities. This is a, a method that Jesus consistently used in his teaching in the gospel narratives. We've seen that. Right? Matthew 13, chapter 3, says that Jesus told them many things in parables. What he's doing, he's throwing alongside of human, ordinary life, divinely revealed truth. It's a way to uh, just reveal heavenly truth. And at the same time, this truth parables were used to elicit a response. It was a challenge. And it was to elicit a response. You could not ignore the truth that was being revealed through everyday life. Could not do it. Even if you ignore it, in and of itself, guess what? That is indeed a response. So that's what 
Jesus begins to do. That's what this series is really going to be about. The next 20 weeks, minus a few others, with Easter and a small little series on marriage, this is what we are going to be diving into. And today, we start by not really looking at what are parables primarily, but asking the question that the disciples ask in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10. Why? Not just what are the parables, but why. Why is Jesus speaking in this way? So I invite you to turn with me, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Please follow along with me in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we would love to give you one. We value the truth of God's Word. We believe that it is divinely revealed truth, that it is indeed the source of salvation, tells us who God is and how He saves. We want to give that to you. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you one. But for now, uh, follow along in what's before you, and also the words will be on the screen. Matthew 13, 10 through 17. Verse 10 says this, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn. And I would heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are you. I'm sorry. But blessed are your eyes. For they see. And your ears. For they hear. For truly I say to you. Many prophets. And righteous people. Long to see what you see. And did not see it. To hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of God. And all of God's people said, Amen to that. For generations, God has been revealing himself to his people. 
For generations, God has been taking the initiative to show His people and the world through His people who He is. Let's be clear about that. We look through all of the Old Testament and we see that God has intentionally shown up in the lives of people to reveal Himself. He's redeemed His people through Exodus, which we just saw. He's revealed the law. He has shown His people who He is. Throughout all the law, And the prophets, there has been an intentional effort by God to show his people, inevitably to show the world who he is. He's not been absent. He's not been distant. He has repeatedly, consistently, clearly revealed himself to the world. And now we look at the ministry of Jesus, the birth, the life, the teaching, the healing of Jesus, and we see all the more that the Word that revealed God in the Old Covenant is now being made flesh. That Jesus himself is present. He's with the people and teaching the people. He is showing the reality of the kingdom. He's showing up on the scene. He's saying, time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. God is revealing himself very powerfully and very personally in Jesus Christ to the world. We have to see that. Jesus has been teaching. You see the Sermon on the Mount, four chapters. You have heard that it was said, but let me make it clear. This is what I am saying to you. With his disciples in the crowds on the mountainside. God's been revealing himself consistently to his people in the world. He's not been hiding. And the disciples are used to that. They've been interacting with that. They've been seeing that. The crowds have been following. And all of a sudden, Jesus makes a distinctive shift in how he is communicating. It's not that he hasn't used parables before, so please Don't mishear me. It's just there's a distinctive change in the consistency, in the manner in which he is communicating with the people. The text says that he begins to to tell them many things into parables. We'll be looking at this parable of the sower soon. But the disciples are scratching their heads. Because it's human nature for us to ask the question, why, when a change is taking place. Many of you may have heard that we are moving from DeWitt to 1.9 miles away from this building. We're pretty excited about it. But we've been there for nine years. And so a lot of the relationships there, and even our own children, some of our neighbors, guess what they want to understand? Why? Right? It's part of human nature to want to understand why is this change taking place we attach purpose and and, and intention to meaning and it helps us deal with it. it helps us grasp it it helps us buy into it and so the disciples are trying to understand why are you communicating this way now so consistently it's very different than what we've been used to 
Maybe you're in that parenting season now, or you remember it, where everything you did, your child said, why? Right? It's just part of human nature. We're going to the mall. Why? Because I have to get a shirt. Why? Because my other one's too small now. Why? Because I ate a lot of pizza. Why? And you never get to the end. And finally, like all great parents, you say two th- one of two things, just because, and shut your mouth, <laughs> or, or this level of thinking is beyond your current understanding at this time. Someday you will have an enlightened view of things, and at that time it will be understandable. Usually I do the former, right? I don't know, just because. So the disciples are are showing that they want to understand why is this taking place? Why are we moving so it may seem from clarifying to mystifying? Why isn't it just simple speech? Why in parable? And so we look and Jesus does not give his disciples or the people just a just because answer. There's actually purpose behind it. I want to just pause there for a moment, and I may go back there. You have to understand that everything that Jesus does is about the purposes of God. Everything that Jesus does has a precise intentionality. He's not willy-nilly. Jesus is not just moving forward in his ministry on the whims of what he feels like doing today. That his whole purpose for being there is to carry out the purposes of God to save and people and, and reveal the righteousness of God to a sinful world, thus bringing the glory that God desires. It's all about that. That's why Jesus is here. That's why Jesus has been revealing himself. That's why he makes this shift. It's all about the purposes of God. Everything that Jesus does is about his purposes in the world. Very purposeful. Very intentional. And so we see that there are clear purposes that he's going to tell us. And interestingly enough, as we begin to read and walk through the the reasons, the purposes of the parables, we see two truths, two realities that would seem to our human minds, at least on the surface, to be two trains headed in the same direction on the same track, heading for a theological collision. Some of you saw that, what was it, 15 years ago, there was a collision behind Syracuse, China, in Lincourt. Two trains on the same track that, boom, hit. A lot of people were injured, no people died, amen. That's what we feel like we're about to get ourselves into when we look at the purposes of the parables. But sometimes one action carries with it two purposes, right? Let me illustrate when Silas and I play basketball. Here's the deal. When Silas and I play basketball, and by the way, it's wintertime, so it's not soccer season. Soccer season is fall and spring, and we put them in camps in the summer just because the cat just needs something to do. But in the wintertime, we play ball but not outside. We have to play in his bedroom, okay? So we're showing our house today, all that stuff. There's like basketball marks all over the ceiling. There's just nothing you can do about it, okay? It's just, it is what it is. This is Silas's room. So when we play basketball, we play one-on-one. We always play to 30, 40. He begs me to play to 50. 
But, you know, I just kind of have to fight him to get him down. Like, we can't do this all night. Okay? When we play ball, I have two purposes in mind. You ready? One, I want to build the kid's confidence. Right? Like, I, I want to make the kid feel like he's never going to amount to anything. Like, you're a pretty sick father if you're getting kicks off dunking on your son's head. <laughs> on a four-foot hoop. Right? Like, it's time to move on. Your days are over, Dad. So you think about him and you want to see him develop. You want to see him grow his confidence. You know, you give him a free shot here and there. You let him, take a, you let him do his LeBron dunk. You know, just enjoy it. But then at the very same time that I want to build confidence in this kid, I want him to be humbled. And so every once in a while, he'll go up for his LeBron dunk, and I will just swat that thing to the other end of the room and kind of jaw at him a little bit. Like, what you got? And every once in a while, I'll do a little step back and hit the three, and I'll say, look it, man, you know, you got to remember who you're playing here. you got to remember, man, I, you know, I go way back, you know? And so at the same time that I'm trying to build confidence in the kid and just see him, just enjoy the game, I'm trying to keep him humble. I'm trying to give him a dose of reality. Those two things seem to be working uh, against one another. But I think some of us understand as parents, right, that we're trying to teach, we're trying to build character, and at the same time, uh, keep him or them humble. We see two purposes in what Jesus is doing as he's teaching the parables. And they both serve the one greater purpose of what God is doing in the world. Look at verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Parables reveal truth. They reveal the truths and the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That is what Jesus is doing. He is revealing truth regarding the kingdom of God to his disciples. And it says right there, to you it has been given. To those it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. To his disciples, he's revealing truth. He's giving them something that they do not deserve. Don't miss the word given. This is not a wage. When when we are given to know the secrets of the kingdom, this is not based on our own merit. This is not something that we inherently deserve. This is a gift from God. God is the giver. His disciples are the recipient of that gift. You can't miss that. That's what this Um, gift of knowing the secrets of the kingdom is. It's a gift. It's not merit. I love what Ligon Duncan says. He says, no one can stand in the kingdom and say, I earned this. I'm better. I deserve this. Because it has been granted to you to know and to believe. It's a gift, right? My friends, we ought to fall on our faces before Almighty God in thanksgiving that He has spared us what we deserve and has given us far beyond what we've ever deserved in the grace of the gospel. God is the giver. Sovereign grace is the motive. The disciples are the recipients. You can't miss that. Revelation is a gift from God to his disciples. The parables serve that purpose. This is why I'm teaching in parables. Because to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. God wants to be known. 
by his disciples. But then he goes on to say, but to them it has not been given. And thus we begin to get uncomfortable. There are those to whom it has been given and those to whom it has not been given. It's what the text says. And all of that as well is on the basis of God's sovereign grace to whom He will. He's both revealing truth to those whom it has been given to know, and at the very same time, Jesus is using parables to conceal truth to those whom it has not been given. I think we need to be careful, as D.A. Carson says, Jesus' answer cannot legitimately be softened. See, when we feel this tension, when we feel this discomfort, we easily just want to grab onto some explanation to soften it or to put it into our perfect little theological system. And let, not just let the text speak for itself. Why are you teaching in parables? Jesus says this reason. To reveal truth. Because to you, it has been, known, uh, has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. And at the very same time, to conceal truth. Because to them, it has not been given. And Jesus takes it a step further. He says, for to the one who has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, more will be given. And the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. He's moving forward to tell us the purpose of the parables in more of like a proverb. The one who has, the one who has not. The one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, even what he is seeing, even what he is experiencing, even what has been clearly shown is being taken away now. There's the revealing and the concealing nature of the kingdom. And what is happening in this moment, like other times, like the sheep and the goats, uh, we see that Jesus is dividing the world into two, black and white, on the basis of divine sovereignty and on the basis of grace. See, today in our society, we like to gray that which is black and white. We like to question it. We like to, yeah, but it. And to create other levels and gray it. But what Jesus does with his sharp truth, that double-edged sword of the Word of God, is that He divides the word, world into two on the basis of divine sovereignty and on the basis of grace. There are those whom it has been given and those to whom it has not been given. There are those who what have and those who have not. There are you and there are them. These are the words of Jesus. We cannot legitimately soften them. And all those who it has been given, it's all because of grace. There's no room for pride in this. 
It's all because of grace. I love what John Newton says. He says, it is of grace that any are saved. And in the distribution of that grace, he does what he will with his own. Many perplexing and acrimonious disputes have been started on this subject. But the redeemed of the Lord are called not to dispute, but to admire and to rejoice to love, adore, and to obey. Is this our heart as we hear these words? Do you see the sovereign grace of God at work in the words of Jesus? If you haven't seen it yet, think of it this way. I love to, for the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Right? This idea that when, when Jesus is revealing truth, to his disciples. He is doing so in such a way to plant seeds in their heart. Seeds that will grow. Because when God deposits his grace into our lives, that grace grows in our lives. It is not a stagnant thing. It is a reality that is deposited and a reality that grows. That's what the reality of the kingdom of God does. When we see and understand and embrace Jesus and that grace is deposited into our hearts, that grace grows to the one who has more will be given. Is that your expectation from God? It's is an act of divine grace, the parables, to reveal, to give more, to cause growth in his disciples to those whom it has been given. But at the very same time, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is not just an act of judgment, I'm sorry, of grace. It is also an act of judgment. You see, because for years God has been revealing himself. For years he has shown himself to his people. And for generations people have shown themselves for who they really are, blind deaf and dead in their hearts and unresponsive to God's revelation. And God reserves the right in His holiness and in His righteousness to take away that which people have had, to mystify, to conceal truth, to dispense grace, and at the very same time to withhold it. From those whom he may. That's what is going on in the parables. Jesus is both revealing and concealing truth on the basis of divine sovereignty in his distribution and withholding of grace. That's what God is doing. And at the very same time, he is providing grace and he is acting in a way that is judging those who are unresponsive. That's what we, exactly what we see. Right? Verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, and, and they do not understand. This is all in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. In the days of Isaiah, where, where Isaiah is called... In the midst of a people who are idolatrous and rebellious and refuse to embrace 
the truth that was revealed by God through the prophets, refused to submit to his law, Isaiah went and commanded the people, see but don't see, hear but don't hear. Your hearts are calloused. They've grown dull. You do not turn to God in order to be healed. This is an act of judgment on those people there, the crowds there that are there only from a superficial level as in contradiction to the disciples. When we see this fulfillment of this prophecy, we come to grips with this truth. You can have 20-20 vision physically, but be spiritually blind. You can have the ears of a bat, but be spiritually deaf. You can spend all your time doing metabolic conditioning, cardiovascular exercise, eating foods that build the heart. You can live long physically with a strong, healthy heart. But from a spiritual perspective, in your standing before God, your heart can be dead. Your heart can be hard before Him. Right? The physical realities illustrate the greater spiritual realities. When it comes to being spiritually blind, I think that Augustine illustrates it well, or Augustine, if you're of that camp, where he says someone can stare at, appreciate, study ancient Egyptian calligraphy and say, wow, isn't that cool? Do you see that? And at the same time have absolutely no understanding what it is saying. People can have uh, the ability to hear physically or at the very least they can listen but not hear truly. I don't know what this says about me, but one of my favorite movies from back in the day, back to the basketball thing, was White Men Can't Jump. And by the way, I am a living example of that reality. I do well in Silas's room, though, on a six-foot hoop. Sydney and Billy, the two players, are in this whole squabble about Jimi Hendrix. Raise your hand if you like Jimi Hendrix. It's okay, Christians. It's okay. I mean, the guy could play, you know. Well, Billy is saying, listen, he's taking all these, making all these comments about Jimi Hendrix. Man, I love Jimi Hendrix. And then Sidney's like this. Look, man, you can listen to Jimi, but you can't hear him. Anybody remember this scene? There's a difference, man. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean you're hearing him. That is, you're not getting the message at all. You're not understanding what he's trying to communicate. You're listening with your ears, but you're not really hearing what he's trying to communicate. 
think we live in a world where we can see that. We've even attended churches where we see people are seeing and hearing the truths of the gospel, but week in and week out, no matter how many conversations, no matter how many times you think, man, that was a good presentation of the gospel, there is absolutely no effect in who they are or how they behave. Do you know someone in your life like that? That no matter how much it seems clear to you, no matter how wonderful the sound of the gospel, no matter how moving it is to your heart and how it changes you, how it dispenses grace to you, at the very same time, nothing happens to them. They're blind. And they're deaf to the truth and the reality of the kingdom of God. Do you know someone like that? Have you been there before? The inability to see, the inability to hear, is an issue of the heart. I tell my kids all the time, you're, you're listening to me, but you're not hearing me. You're not obeying me. It's going into the ear, but there's a roadblock in your life between the ear and the heart. Some of you are like, you're picking on your kids. That's what I do with God often too. Can we humbly confess that? That we struggle with this? That there's a, there's a roadblock between the ear and the heart? And yet what God has made us to be is a people that what goes into the ear when he talks to us, when he speaks to us, what we see in the world, that there is a direct connection to the human heart and that it has an impact on our identity and our behavior, that we can see and hear in such a way to repent and to turn from our sin and embrace the promise that if we do so, he will heal us. There's a connection between the ear and the heart. What we hear from God and how we live. There's a connection between the eye and the heart. What we see going on in our life and how we perceive it and understand it and interact with the world and experiences. It goes directly to the heart. And the reason he's te teaching in teaching in parables is it's a it's an act of judgment on those who have consistently repeatedly hardened their hearts before God shown themselves to be spiritually blind spiritually deaf who are literally unresponsive to God's word that's why he's concealing the truth because that's what God wants to do. And God has every right to do it. The purposes of God in the word and the purposes of God in the parables, the purposes of God in the ministry of Jesus is to what? Provide grace to those for pardon from sin and at the very same time to execute, to distribute what he is holy enough and righteous enough to do, act in judgment upon those who refuse to respond to his word. It's the both and nature of the parables. It's the both and nature of what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. He's providing grace. 
He's acting according to his, his desire and his sovereign purposes to save a people. And at the very same time, he is acting in the world in such a way to judge a people who have been consistently unresponsive to his word. This is the purpose of the parable. That's what God is doing. The purpose of the parables is rooted in the purposes of God. Are you tracking with me at all? It's not divine sovereignty or human responsibility. It's not that. See, it's Super Bowl Sunday. We think, oh, it's, it's going to be, oh, did I even utter that word? It's going to be Panthers or Broncos. Right? Who's in on Broncos? Raise your hand. No one's even voting. Panthers? Everybody wants to pay. If you don't care, you're illustrating the sermon really well. That's an either or. That's a versus. Yeah, I get it. Buffalo chicken wing dip. Who wants their hands there? <laughs> See, it's not verses. Find sovereignty, human responsibility, sovereign grace, stubbornness of heart. All of that is under the umbrella of serving the purposes of God. We're, we're, they're heading in the same direction. The trains are not heading toward one another. They're on the same track, heading in the same direction to the purposes of God. That's what it's all about. And in such a way to elicit response from us. Even non-response is a response. And I love the way this ends. He spent so much time telling us about them. For they these people, this people, their eyes, their ears. And he looks at the disciples and he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. So I think often when we approach this subject of divine sovereignty, when we this subject of the one who has and the one who has not to you and to them when we see Jesus divide the world we begin to ask the question why not them we begin to ask the question why us really don't we I'll never forget being in college and being really sad when I looked at so many of my friends, so broken, when I saw so many of my high school buddies that I cared dearly for literally leave Faith Heritage out the building and say so long to Jesus. And I remember being just angry and frustrated, but I remember being sad. I remember praying for them. I remember being angry with them in my immaturity. I remember trying to make contact with them. Why aren't you doing this? I remember one of my roommates driving him nuts. Why are you living this way? Why are you doing this? Don't you love Jesus? 
Didn't we grow up as Christians? Didn't you embrace the gospel? Confessing, I'm trying really hard to not make a complete mess of my life. Like, why are you going that way? You're, you're almost like tempting me to go down that road, but instead I'm asking you the question, why are you doing this? Being so sad for them. I'll never forget at one point looking in the mirror and realizing that while that was a fair question and a, a reasonable question based on my frustration and somewhere deep inside there, my love for people. I remember looking in the mirror one day, confounded by this. Why me? Not just why not them, but I remember looking in the mirror and starting to ask the question, why me? I'm no better than they are. What's the difference? Why is it that I'm... I'm I'm, I'm protected from going down that road. I, I don't understand. It's not that I'm better than they are. It's not that I have more merit or I'm wiser or I'm just, you know, a better person. That's not what it is. There's no room for patting myself on the back. Why am I doing this? Why is there something inside of me that is drawn to, to Jesus, drawn to, to the church, drawn to commitment and faithfulness, albeit very immature at the age of 20? Why me, God? Have you ever asked that question? See, we always ask, why, why not them? That's not fair. But I would say equally true, why me? That's not fair. Why me, God? Blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes. For they hear and they see. Blessed. Again, the source is God. Not perfect are you, not smarter are you, blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears. And the thought that God in his sovereign grace and in his perfect righteousness and in the execution of his holiness poured out his blessing and grace into my life. There's no room for pride, is there? If it wasn't for grace, it would not, I would not be here. Let me make that clear. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you would not be here. If it wasn't for grace, right? Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's no other reason. There's no other explanation for you seeing and hearing the truth, the secrets of the kingdom, rather than the pure pouring out of blessing onto your heart, pouring out of divine blessing into your eyes and your ears, that you might see, that you might hear the truth and the reality of Christ. There's no explanation other than that. It's not of your own merit. It's not of your own performance. It's not of your own doing. It is the blessing of God. I don't even know where I am anymore. Ligon Duncan says this, You see, understanding and embracing the gospel is always a matter of grace. 
And we ourselves must recognize that the reason we are believers gathered to worship Him is not because of our innate goodness or because of our wisdom or because of our position. It is only because of the sheer grace of Christ. Man is responsible to believe. Someone say amen. Man is responsible to believe, but seeing the kingdom, understanding the kingdom, embracing the kingdom with a heart, only the Spirit can cause that. Only the divine and gracious work of the Holy Spirit can enable us to understand and embrace the gospel of grace. Blessed are your eyes for they see. And what they're seeing is the fulfillment of all that the old school prophets long to see, all the righteous people. What a statement that Jesus is making about himself. I am what they all waited for. Do you see Jesus for who he is? Do you hear him? Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you hear him? Do you see him? Are you perceiving and understanding? Understand this, if you see him and hear him, it's all because of grace. And I love the promise. Maybe you're seeing him today and hearing him today for the first time. If so, join us in turning. Join us in how we saw and heard and turned. Because all of revelation that comes from grace leads to us repenting, turning from sin, not just a a kind of nice little nod, yeah, that's true, but a complete turning of our heart and our affection to Christ so that we might be healed, right? He is revealing to provide grace so that he might heal the human heart that is on its own hardened to him. So turn to Jesus today and be healed. Maybe you're struggling with a particular sin. Maybe you see him and perceive it, but you're still wrestling. The only way to be healed is to turn to Jesus and ask for grace. It's the distinction, grace, that makes all the difference in the world. Be healed today. And be humbled by grace. There's no room for pride today. As we approach the parables, leave pride at home. And matter of fact, flush it down the toilet. It's no place for those who have received the grace of God. And I think for so many of us, we miss the point when we look at the, the one who has, the one who has not, the one to you and to them We look at divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We try to put it together. We look at this and we decide, well, it doesn't really matter, I guess. You're missing the point completely. This kind of word, this the purpose of the parables, the revelation of God should bring us to our knees. We should be praying that eyes would be opened, that ears would be opened to see and to hear and to respond to the truth of the gospel. For those people in our lives that we know have been so unresponsive for so long, let us be a people of prayer for them. Because it's only grace that will change them. It 
done a lot of ranting and raving today. There's a lot of both ands in this text. Divine sovereignty, yes. Acting in grace, yes. Revealing truth, yes. Human responsibility, absolutely. Sin, absolutely. Acting in judgment, absolutely. It's all there. They're not colliding. They're heading in the same tracks, all to the purposes of God. That's what the parables are all about. It's my heart, my prayer, that you would be attentive. Attentive to the truth that Jesus is to reveal and that you would be responsive, turning from sin and turning to be healed by the only one that can heal you, Jesus. The purpose of the parables is rooted in the purposes of God. Amen. Let's pray. It's all grace, our Father. Anything good, anything blessed, anything worthwhile, anything meaningful, anything righteous, anything holy and good that is in us or a part of our lives is a direct result from you pouring out your grace for salvation into our hearts. You're the giver. We are the receiver. As we receive your grace, that we would respond with repentance, faith, total reliance upon Jesus, who is indeed the secret of the kingdom of God. It's all about Jesus. May we look to him today. May we celebrate him today. May we hear his word. May we see his power. And may we fall on our faces in humble adoration, in resounding thanksgiving. For by the grace of God alone, we are indeed who we are. All God's people say,